Anything combat with Johnny K. Well, it's anything combat, though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat Show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by MMA analyst, fighter, everything you want. He hosts Bare Knuckle Bets. He hosts The Money Line. He hosts The Mike Finch Show. Please welcome the Honorable Mike Finch. How are you today? I'm good, brother. Always a beautiful day here in sunny Huntington Beach, California. Now you're over there down under. I hear it's nice over there too. Life's good, Johnny? Everything's running smoothly. We got affiliated through Charles Harriet. How'd you meet uh, the Black Belt in Jiu-Jitsu? Charles is the man, the BJJ Globetrotter. Uh, Charles, I got to meet maybe, time flies, man, I don't know, seven years ago now. I met him at a jiu-jitsu vacation that my friend Robbie Mayloff hosted. Robbie Mayloff trains with Rich Ace Franklin. I know you're a big MMA fan, so I know you know Rich, but uh, a lot of great jiu-jitsu guys in Ohio. He owns Limitless Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And um, man, Robbie's the man. So I had to go on that jiu-jitsu vacation. I think it was North Carolina. Carolina, could have been South Carolina, and I got to meet Charles there. We rolled, we scrapped a lot. I got to know him pretty well. And then uh, just recently, actually, I think it was maybe eight months ago now, he came out here uh, over the winter. So uh, it was cool to train with him. He showed me this crazy leg lock entry that I love. I use all the time now. I train five days a week at Art of Jiu-Jitsu, and I coach at UFC Jim Huntington Beach. So with Charles has been super valuable, man. He's the man. When did you first get affiliated with like the the sport? When did you first get introduced? What was your introduction into MMA? When I was a little kid, I wrestled. And so I was always interested in martial arts and self-defense and just in fighting. I remember seeing my dad watch. It was Pedro Hizzo versus Randy Couture. And I saw that fight live on pay-per-view. And uh, we were talking about, you know, getting a punching bag for the garage. I was maybe nine years old. And uh, my dad found Ohana Martial Arts. Uh, nowadays, it's uh, Wrecking Ball. The, the coaches, the Blackburns, open their own gym. But back then, he was coaching Muay Thai at Ohana Martial Arts. And so I went over there. I started training. And I fell in love with it, man. And these guys were big fans back when nobody knew what the UFC was. I'm 31 years old. I was 10 years old running with all these pro fighters. I'd put a garbage bag on, my head through, my, my hands through, my arms through the sides. And they'd make me run three and a half miles with the fight team. 10 years old, I was out there grinding. So I've loved it ever since, man. I've literally watched every UFC fight ever. Uh, I feel like I'm one of the biggest fans in the world. And uh, I still love it just like I did when I was 10 years old. What was your first gig in the industry? Like, was it the commentating? Like, was it the fighting? What was the, your original uh, first position? You know, I would say my first gig in the industry was probably when I was 18 years old. I started working for the extreme fighting organization, XFO, and they've graduated. I mean, Clay Guida, Chael Sun, and you can go through a long list of XFO fighters. Jens Pulver, the Kearns, I mean... Um, they're, they were the show in Illinois, you know, especially Northern Illinois where I'm from. So um, I started working for them, doing interviews backstage, graduated to doing commentary for them. But yeah, I had my first MMA fight when I was 18 years old. I was still in high school. I remember I fought a dude, he was maybe 28. I'm sitting in class thinking like, I could be fighting my teacher right now. This is bizarre, you know? So no, I got started really young, Johnny. What's your MMA record? Five and oh, five wins, no losses. I finished all my opponents. I was the number one ranked amateur fighter in Illinois. Now, amateur, see, I went to Henry Cejudo's house and Henry asked me, amateur or pro? I said amateur, but Henry didn't understand. Amateur in, in Arizona today means like headgear, uh, shin guards, bigger gloves. No, you can knee people in the face, head kick knockouts, bare shins. I mean, they were we were paid for our fights. So I don't know what an amateur fight is uh, in the XFO back in 2010, but we were scrapping for real. Uh, why did they list it as amateur if you were basically just a professional? Uh, because we didn't have to do a lot of legal things like uh, drug testing and we didn't do, not like I'm on I'm not on steroids folks all right it's all natural but uh I mean it, it was just cheaper for them like if you have a lot of amateur fights on a promotion it's just pure income for the promotion a lot of these uh, lower level promotions what they'll do is they'll make money off of alcohol sales so it really just matters how many people you bring so you being an amateur is great for them they like it 
Mike, I can't tell if you are on or not on steroids with those arms. They're, they're huge, mate. <laughs> Definitely not, man. I, I was guess So we're doing a Greek mythology theme for Halloween here, and people keep asking me, are you going to be Hercules? Like, I cannot pull off Hercules, brother. I do not look like fucking Hercules, okay? So uh, I got a long way to go in that end. You brought up the UFC gym. What are you doing for them right now? I coach jujitsu and kickboxing and mixed martial arts at UFC Gym Huntington Beach, and it's been, you know, the premier UFC gym. I mean, we get Chris Cyborg in, Marvin Vittori, Benil Daryush, Giga Chikadze, Tito Ortiz, but he moved now. He moved to Florida. The Huntington Beach bad boy is no longer in Huntington Beach, Johnny. I don't know if you know about this. He became mayor, and then they started protesting at his house, and now he moved to Florida. So he left us, but we got a lot of, you know, Rafael Cordero comes in and works out. I mean, we get a lot of... Um, a lot of great talent at UFC Gym Huntington Beach. So it attracted me right away. It's a 42,000 square foot gym. I'm from Chicago. So when I moved here four years ago, I knew for sure I wanted to coach at UFC Gym. And then, you know, I've been training a little bit at King's MMA, but recently a lot at Art of Jiu-Jitsu. So this is like a hotbed for MMA. You know, if you're going to open a business in Huntington Beach, California, the last thing you want to open is a gym. Everybody's got a gym in Huntington Beach. So there's no lack of places to train, man. I'm definitely definitely blessed. Mike, let me tell you what was revealed today on Instagram. I was scrolling past and I was looking at the rankings for the UFC game. And to be honest, I think this is a slander. I was looking at the rankings. They have Stipe at four and a half stars, right? They have Fedor at five stars. They have Shavkat Rachmanov at four and a half. And then they have Demetrius Johnson at four and a half. They've never done a good job with those rankings, buddy. Have you seen the old games? Come on, man. They've never hit out of the park with those. I mean, I mean, I enjoy looking at the old EA ones, but these ones in particular, the fact that they have DJ at four and a half is ridiculous. When I, I, I personally believe DJ is the third best fighter to ever live. And the fact that you're doing that, that is actually, that's actually a slander on his reputation, his legacy. And that should be, that should lead to like a court proceeding or something. <laughs> Mighty Mouse is way too humble for that, Johnny. I don't think Mighty Mouse is going to be suing anybody. But, yeah, I think Mighty Mouse is one of the greatest fighters of all time. I mean, one knock you could have on Mighty Mouse is the division's not that deep, you know. Uh, I've had the pleasure of going to train with Ian McCall before, so he's definitely had some beasts. You know, Ian McCall runs uh, Peaceful Warrior Fitness down in Dana Point. Uh, he sells psilocybin mushrooms. If you ever tried mushrooms, hit up my guy. <laughs> Oh, man, he's got you plugged. Um, but uh, I, I definitely think that, you know, the knock on Mighty Mouse is the lack of depth in the division. With that being said, he's a clear five star. I mean, you got to put him up there with the greats, whether you put them at third best ever or eighth best ever. I mean, he's still one of the greatest of all time. Come on, UFC game. One, one thing that I do have to say, I die on this hill all the time, is that if Mighty Mouse comes back now at the ripe old age of 37, he finishes Figueredo, Moreno, and Pantoja back-to-back. -back, and I, I, there's, no, there's no one that can convince me any otherwise. I can make an argument for every single one. So what do you think about that? Mighty Mouse is the man. I haven't really seen him slow down, dude. He looks really good in 1FC. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Mighty Mouse fan as well. I got to see a lot of him training with uh, Henry Cejudo, so I don't know if you follow that, that that YouTube page he's got, but he posts a lot of sparring with Mighty Mouse. Man, Mighty Mouse. Henry Cejudo just went to a split decision for the Bantamweight title, so you got to think at Flyweight, Mighty Mouse is giving him that work. He's right up there, and I could see that happening. I think those are like close odds fights, you know? Him and Moreno is a great fight. Him and Pantoja is a great fight, but I see what you're saying, brother. They didn't let him go because Mighty Mouse couldn't hold water. They let him go because Mighty Mouse wanted big money and he wasn't drawing big money in. That was the only reason. His skills are there. There's a fighter that he might have to defend his one championship title up against, and that's K-Rat. I think that's how you say it. His record's 30-2. and two. He's a Kazakhstanian guy. Have you looked into this fighter? Man, I need to watch more One FC. You got me on that one. I watch everything Bellator. I watch everything UFC, PFL, and One FC. I got to give more love to. No. 
seeing that you said that you watch Bellator, I believe your friends or you spoke to Archie Colgan. What can you tell me about him? He's a friend of the show. Oh, yeah. Archie's a beast, man. Are you kidding me? Uh, I have friends who run betting companies. Shout out to Relentless Sports and Vegas Sporting Sporting Odds. I think that uh, Archie Colgan is one of the best guys to bet on. And they did bet against, um, was it Justin Montalvo? Which, uh, you know, shout out to Justin Montalvo. Very good fighter. But Archie Colgan is a whole other level. He's got the wrestling. And I know you see the power in his hands, Johnny. So Archie Colgan's going to become one of the better fighters in the world the only problem i see with archie is i see him going the whole way but the only problem is that if usman namagamedov is there that would be an undefeated fighter versus undefeated you know number one contender and someone has to lose their row so i would have i can't bet against usman so who would you pick in that potential matchup that we're going to see later on oh no he's gonna put me on the spot Man, Usman Nurmagomedov is so much taller, longer. The, the the reach is insane. He's used to these tough wrestlers. I would think Usman would come in as a slight favorite, but I would really have to dig into that matchup, man. That's an incredible fight. Okay, so you're not picking anyone. Oh, man. All right, Usman. Usman, but damn, Archie's good, bro. I don't hate on Archie. Archie comes in dressed fresh as hell. Me and him have laughed a bit together. I, I feel like uh, I like Archie, man. It's hard to pick against a guy who I'd be rooting for. But, um, yeah, I, slight lean Usman, brother. Good fight. I think both of those guys can get ranked in the UFC in the next couple of years. They've got um, massive teams around them that are all high skill level, um, you know, like teammates and their and their and their attributes when it comes to their grappling. Both of them would yeah. give them just an absolute edge in that lightweight division. They could they could shift out the top the fifteen to seven and take those spots in the next year. Uh, do you think Usman would find success in the UFC? Yeah, fuck yeah, of course, man. Usman Nurmagomedov is one of the best fighters in the world. For sure, he finds success in the UFC. I mean, if you guys watched him up against uh, Patricky Pitbull or if you guys watched him against Brent Primus, I know he went all rounds, but Brent Primus is underrated. Those odds were insane, Johnny. I don't know if you saw how wide those odds were. Odds makers lost their damn minds, man. So Chael Sonnen definitely... Uh, was backing, you know, Brent Premis and, and, and for good reason. Brent, Brent, Premis, Brent Premis is not no 12 to 1 underdog to Usman Nurmagomedov. That was crazy. But, you know, U- Usman, I would say, is one of the top five uh, in, in the world in his weight class. Yeah. Chael Sonnen has not made a correct pick in like a year <laughs> or two or something. <laughs> I tell people this all the time. People don't know how bad Chael is at picking fights. Coming from somebody who picks fights for a living, yes, Chael sucks at picking fights. So have you like have you like made money betting on fights? Like is this something that you're really into? Yes, I've I've made uh I've made, you know, thousands of dollars betting on fights, yes. <laughs> so when did you become involved with the money line? When did you start hosting that show? I started hosting Moneyline about two years ago with AJ DeVito. He runs a channel, MMA Experts, and he's done content every single day for the last three years. So I just jumped on board. I'm like, hey, man, look, I work for Bellator, so I can't be picking Bellator fights. But I'm happy to jump on with you and call these UFC fights. And we did one show. He loved it. We've been doing every single Monday ever since. So Monday, 5 p.m. California time, Moneyline, we pick every single UFC fight. And I think we're pretty good at it. I really like bare knuckle boxing. They've given you a gig there. Who who got you involved with bare knuckle? I gotta give a shout out to my guy Billy Barnes. He's a producer for Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships, and Billy Barnes talked to them, brought me in. I got to do backstage interviews with Mike Perry and Luke Rockhold and Ben Rothwell and all those savages, Juggernaut, and um, it's been very fun hosting the betting show. So that's that's uh, we record on Wednesday. It comes out on Fridays. It came out today. We're recording this on a Friday. So. 
I, I really love doing that. Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships takes care of us super well. And what an exciting sport. I mean, I have so much fun predicting those fights because I got to go and watch tape every time I do these shows. And when I watch these Bare Knuckle fights, I mean, none of them are boring. Like, you cannot have a bad Bare Knuckle fight. They're insane. A lot of them are crazy. Sometimes, you know, people get cuts and underdogs win. And I mean, it's a lot of drama. It is a lot of fun, dude. So I'm glad you're a Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships fan as well. I'm blessed to work for him. Dude, in Australia, I'm not allowed to bet on Bare Knuckle. Of course you're allowed to bet in America, right? All right, so I live in, in Kami, California, all right? I live I live in uh, – it's not Kami, California, no. Oh, I just realized what you said. You called it communist, okay? No, we're very capitalist over here in California. We're, our economy is probably bigger than Australia altogether. All just <laughs> – state of california is insane i mean we we a lot so the internet was you know uh, invented in san francisco remember so uh we, we we put out a lot of value for the folks this is capitalist over here but it's called california because they restrict shit like betting so um i have to go to vegas sometimes like if i want to place like a cash bet i gotta drive to vegas which sometimes i do you drive to vegas just to place a bet i was there last week do you place a bet, like, on a laptop? You leave, go to Vegas, and place it on a laptop in Vegas? <laughs> Is that how you do it? I walk into, uh, uh, you know, Caesars or MGM or any anywhere that's got a sports book that I like, and I place it at a window. You know, I've... Uh, you know, I've bet like two thousand dollars on Shane Burgos before. I mean, I, I've gone, I've gone in there and, and put my money where my mouth is a couple times. I love to hear that. Mike Perry is just such a fun character in the sport. He's really elevating the sport right now. I loved his fight with Julian Lane. MVP fight was great. The Luke Rockhold uh, fight was good. I love the fact that they're just throwing the most random matches at him. And now he's being booked up against Eddie Alvarez. Now, when I saw this, of course, I was like, this is kind of a legacy fight for Mike because he already beat the middleweight champion of the UFC in bare knuckle. Now he's going to try and fight the lightweight uh, former champion. So what do you think about this matchup? Do you think they could have given him anyone else? Yeah, I think Mike Perry should be fighting guys who are bigger. I think that uh, because of the lifting regimen of of, of uh, Eddie Alvarez, this fight makes sense. But people don't know that. You know, people haven't seen him like I did. When I saw him right before he fought Chad Mendez, I was, is this a middleweight? Look at this guy. He was jacked out of his mind. So definitely Eddie Alvarez has put more muscle on. He has filled in to be a bigger man and, and then, you know, could rightfully challenge a big guy like Mike Perry. But yeah, I like Mike Perry fighting these bigger dudes. I think MVP was perfect. I think Luke Rockhold was perfect. I feel like there's some fun matchups they could make. I don't know. Let him fight this Bryce Hall YouTuber kid. I don't know. Do fun shit. I don't care. Mike Perry fights. He could fight anybody. Get him somebody from boxing. I don't know. Make fun fights with Mike Perry. So I was a little surprised to see the matchup. I got to tell you the truth. But with that being said, another UFC champion, right? Another guy with a huge name that everybody knows who's a real fan of mixed martial arts. So you got to love the matchups. And Ben Rothwell fighting Todd Duffy's dope. I think a lot of the fights are good on that card. So I can't wait. Hopefully I'll be there for it, Johnny. On the um, main card, I believe one of the, I think the opening fight of the card is Howard HD Davis versus Kai for that championship. HD is a friend of the show, and guess what? If they put him as an underdog, and mate, I might have to send you via PayPal to put that on for me because <laughs> because Howard Davis, I'm telling you right now, will be the champion of the world. I think that he's a great boxer and he hasn't had a single bad performance in the BKFC. Every single fight has been absolutely lightning. He's got attributes that nobody else has. He's long. He's like 6'2 at like featherweight, right? He's long. He can he can punch um, like the hardest in the whole division. Dude, the, fight, the guy was fighting in the division above. He's coming down. Dude, there's no chance he doesn't knock out Kai. What do you think about that matchup? Kai Stewart is a friend of the Mike Finch show, all right? Little pan over. Boom! Mike Finch show right there, all right? So we got to give love to our guy Kai, too. Uh, I 
what you're seeing, brother. It's a very <laughs> tough matchup for Kai Stewart. Howard Davis is a problem, man. When he puts you at the end of that long one-two, you're going to have a tough night. So Kai Stewart's in for a war. I mean, that's an insane fight. But I think I saw what you saw. When I saw that fight being made, I thought, shit, I bet the champ's going to come out as an underdog when they make these odds. I looked at your Instagram. I saw that you worked with RDA at one point. Uh, what was he like? What did you learn from him? Holy shit. You know what I learned from Rafael Dos Anjos? I learned that I have never been in that type of cardio shape in my life. I could not believe what type of physical condition RDA is in. I got to train with RDA at Ruka under Jason Perillo. He was hosting sparring rounds. So other guys were going in with RDA. So I wasn't first up. You know, I think I went one round and I got to sit out a couple rounds watching him spar. I'm catching my breath. I go in there. RDA gasses me out. I was fresh. He gasses buddy he goes round after round and his output is insane and i'll say one more thing about him what a respectful guy i started getting get it was a five minute round dude three minutes in i am huffing and puffing i'm on the back foot rda's walking me down and he's not hitting me hard he's tapping me he's moving his head he's staying active he's throwing kicks he's breaking clinches and he's not hitting me hard i've i've had the pleasure of sparring fabricio verdum kelvin gaslam they're gonna punch you hard uh rafael dos Anjos is an absolute gentleman and i felt like i was a little vulnerable in there when i got gassed out and that guy is just a machine. So I don't think I've ever seen cardio as good as Rafael Dos Anjos. His work ethic is insane. And it's such a testament to the type of person he is, man. He talk about being prepared for a fight. Rafael Dos Anjos trains like nobody else. Can you tell me the story behind the Fuzzy Fight Club with Neil Magny? You know, we do our research here. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. You're over my head with that one. Go on. I I've done commentary with Neil Magny. So Neil's my guy. So I looked, I looked at Neil Magny's, uh, like it was a photo of you and Neil at, I believe it was called the Fuzzy Fight Club. Oh, I don't know if it... Fight Club. See, you went over my head with that one. Okay. Who's your Fight Club? Gotcha. Oh, uh, okay. Let me see. Let me see if I, um, yeah, I did write it with an F that, that must've been, you know, F and F and H are close to each other on the keyboard. Um, Look, Hoosiers are people from Indiana. So it's Indiana's premier MMA organization. They produce professionals. Uh, it was uh, Dominic Reyes was their champion. You know, the Oscar brothers. They produced a lot of really world-class, a lot of world-class talent. Yes, I did commentary with Neil Magny at HFC. See, I, um, I totally stuffed that up because when I looked on the Instagram, I did see that Dominic was there as like their, their pinned post. But yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. But what's the story behind you commentating with Neil? You know, I got to commentate. It was me, Neil Magny and Eddie Wineland. And we got to do commentary with them. You know, it was really just me talking to Who's Your Fight Club after working for the XFO. I had just done live commentary on UFC Fight Pass. And I hit them up because I've got mutual friends who, who, who are fighters for them. Motaz Oscar, namely, was fighting on the card. And I sent them my resume. You got to show up. You know, you want something in life, you got to ask for it. People always wait for something to come to them. How did you get this job, Mike? Because I showed up. I knocked on the door. I said, hi, here I am. My name what I want to do. So I just asked them. It was Danielle who hosts, um, who, who runs the organization and decides to who to hire. Paul and Danielle run it. And, you know, they were very kind to me and gave me a shot. They liked my commentary. They kept me on. And it was awesome working for them. They haven't hosted a show in a while since COVID. COVID kind of, you know, killed a lot of these smaller promotions. But it was it was excellent working for them, man. And, and yeah, if you want anything in life, you got to go ask for it. I totally agree. Moving on to a random topic, I want to ask you about a particular fight. I want to see your opinion on this. So we brought him up before, Shavkat Rachmanov, right? Um, he's taking on Wonderboy. Now, personally, I rate Shavkat in this fight, but after watching Wonderboy's uh, previous fights against Kevin Holland and uh, Gilbert Burns, all that stuff, re-watching all of those... I've come to the conclusion that Wonderboy can knock out Rachmanov fairly easily, and I'm worried for him. So Wonderboy, basically, I looked at his performance against Kevin Holland. He's still got it. He's still dropping people. He's still at the top of the game. If you're not going to take him down, and personally, even though Shabcat's got that particular clinch style, 
judo uh, techniques and those sambo uh, chain wrestling systems. I don't think that he's to the same level as someone like a Chamayev. I think that Shavkat is more of a striker mixed with that with those grappling sequences. So I think that this fight will be completely standing because I don't see him taking Wonderboy down. And if that's the case, who's the better striker? I'm not going to say that Wonderboy isn't the better striker. I think Shavkat just needs to make this fight dirty, but I do see Wonderboy knocking him out. So... So where, 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 who do I put my money on? You're the better. I need to make money on this fight. What do we do? Wonderboy is no longer in his prime, Johnny. I think prime Wonderboy is pretty damn hard for Shavkat Rachmanov. But Shavkat Rachmanov is on his way up. They gave Wonderboy a tough fight here. This is no accident. The UFC's pissed. They wanted Wonderboy in there fighting. You know, his opponent missed weight by a couple pounds. And, and I don't think they were happy about that. So they gave him this young beast. Yes, it will be a range battle. If, if Shavkat Rachmanov wants to do a sparring match out here, he's going to get work for three rounds. Shavkat has to make this a fight. Luckily, Shavkat fights. He needs to close the distance. And here's a big question for me, thinking about the betting side. Where is it? Is it at the UFC Apex? Apex, Johnny? I think it's got to be Shavkat Rachmanov because he can cut him off in that little cage. And if you're fighting Wonderboy in that little cage, like uh, Geoff Neal made it a decent fight and I felt like let him off the hook a little bit, I don't think Shavkat will. And yes, Johnny, I do think Shavkat can take him down. He's got to get him a little tired first. If he sets a high pace, moves forward, he needs to keep the car in drive, I think Shavkat Rachmanov could beat Wonderboy's ass. And that's saying a lot because Wonderboy's got a phenomenal style. I copy his shit, man. You know, I, I like Wonderboy's kicks. I like his stance. I like his workouts. I saw him on The Ultimate Fighter coaching for Conor McGregor. And, man, I, I stole those warm-ups he used. Three bounces, move forward. Three bounces, move back. I love that style. If you're going to criticize karate fighters at all, it's that they're boring. That's a good thing to hear for a martial arts coach because that means we're not getting hit in the face. I don't want my fighters getting in wars. I want them dominating people. So I love Wonderboy's style. What a good person. But Johnny, Wonderboy says himself, when he stomps on people's knees, he doesn't do it as hard as he can because he doesn't want to hurt them. That's not the mindset. You need to hurt this kid. Otherwise, he's going to hurt you. I got Shavkat Rachmanov. Great pick. It's in the T-Mobile arena. I just checked. It's on the Edwards Covington uh, fight card. Does this change anything? Do you know if the T-Mobile is big or small? Big cage. Yep, 30-foot cage. And that does make a difference. I train in a 30-foot cage at UFC Gym Huntington Beach. It's a big difference, man. That five-foot difference makes all the difference for a karate fighter, you know, for heavyweights, for people with a long-range style. A Howard Davis, like we talked about in BKFC, the more space you give these guys, the more ability they have to create the angles they want and to get distance. So that means Wonderboy might make this a little bit closer. I still got to give it to the relentless kid. I mean, I think Shavkat Ratmanov is hungrier. I think he's going to put a lot of pressure on wonder boy but i can see wonder boy moving a bit better you know wonder boy as soon as your foot hits the back of that cage that's where he's going to be a little vulnerable he won't have as much of trouble in that big cage if you put wonder boy in the middle of a football field it's going to be hard to fight him you put wonder boy in a telephone booth i know a lot of people who could fuck him up so it's a matter of wonder boy using his movement to kind of slow this fight down a little bit uh he uses that sidekick to the body really nicely to the knee as well but he needs to be a little more vicious i don't know if Wonderboy's got it in a man, what, 39 years old or something now? I think he's not going to be beating the top three or four in the division, and I do think Shavkat Rachmanov is that. Do you think that if Wonderboy really utilized that knee uh, sidekick, uh, he would probably be the best uh, kicker for that particular technique in all of MMA? John Jones is mean with that shit, Johnny. John Jones is mean with those oblique kicks and the front leg side kick. Holy shit. I remember listening to Rampage talk about it. Rampage uh, lifts at UFC Jim Huntington Beach. And he said, when John Jones, uh, when I was done with that John Jones fight, I couldn't get in and out of my car. Like he's like in pain, you know, getting in and out of the sports car. He drives that little low, I forget what he drives, but it's a, it's a low sports car. Rampage is feeling those knees. So John Jones doesn't hurt you for the fight. He hurts you for the rest of your life. 
So yeah, if Wonder Boy was super vicious like that, that's possible. But I can't give him that credit, Johnny. He's not. He's 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 the the gentleman. He's such a nice guy. Yeah, you need to really stomp somebody's knee back. We're fighting out here for a hundred thousand dollar win bonus. Yeah, you're getting your shit stomped back if you're fighting John Jones. You know, Wonder Boy doesn't have that type of, of dog in him. That's why he's never been the champ. That's such an interesting take. Shavkat, um, I do have to say, something about his head movement, it's not really there. That's the only part of his game that I think needs improvement, and I don't see him changing anything. I don't think that's how he likes to fight, nor do I think that he'll fix it, because I don't think he really wants to. When I saw his fight with Neil Magny, I realised that Wonderboy hadn't gotten hit from Neil Mag, sorry, Neil, Jeff Neil, Jeff Neil, right? When he fought Jeff Neil, uh, Wonderboy didn't even get hit by Jeff Neil, but but Shavkat was getting kind of pieced up and kind of got a little bit wobbled on the feet. So I do have to say that if if Wonderboy does crack him with a straight or something off off his karate uh, stance, you know how he moves off to the side and pivots off. I think, dude, there's there's a chance that he can that he can drop him, which makes it an absolutely exciting fight, right? But we both know we both know that Rachmanov's going to win. So after he wins this fight, what do you think's next for him? That Leon Edwards fight and that Colby Covington fight for him are both winnable matches. But I do have to say, do you think that uh, Leon might exploit his uh, lack of head movement? Yes. Yeah, I think Leon Edwards is a, is a better striker, and he's a guy who throws one-twos down the pipe and throws those head kicks up there. Those are nasty. It's a little different than Wonderboy. You know, Wonderboy's long, but um, I wouldn't call Wonderboy like a boxer. Like, Wonderboy, Wonder I don't think, is going to be able to really box with Rachmanov. Like, pure boxing match, I'd take Rachmanov, too, against Wonderboy. So, pure boxing match against Leon, I think that's a little better. Again, Leon's in his prime. we got to talk about athletes being at their peak, and I do believe that, that Leon Edwards is there. So, Rachmanov would want that takedown. And, dude, it looks hard to take Leon Edwards down. If you noticed, all he was doing against Kamaru Usman was breaking the grips. Anytime Kamaru Usman was looking to get his hands together, Leon just breaks it. If Leon could keep doing that to Rachmanov and strike with him, I could see Leon out kickboxing uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, but that's what I'm talking about. This is We're talking about top three in the division now. That's where Shavkat belongs, and I do think he gets that title shot, Johnny. I do. So you were talking about Leon Edwards' takedown defense against Usman. Let's talk about the Chemaev, uh, you know, the grappling exchanges between the two. Now, to be honest, I think that because of the styles and grappling, I think maybe Usman might be good on a double leg, on a single leg, he can defend it. But when it comes to the straight jiu-jitsu stuff, if you're getting put in a choke by Leon, I personally think that the dart or the armbar or the triangle by, by Chemayev is something that will definitely catch you. So I don't see a, I don't see a scenario where Usman can really get into those jiu-jitsu exchanges with Chemayev. Do you think I've seen this correct? It's a very interesting one because it's on short notice, Johnny. I think that the fact that Kamaro Usman is such a cardio machine, you know, it changes everything in, when the in the grappling scenarios. So I think. Uh, you know, in a five-round fight where Camaro gets a full camp, this answer is a lot different than in a 10-day notice fight where Camaro comes in to Abu Dhabi with jet lag. I think he needs that cardio to handle Hamzat. So for me, Johnny, it's about Hamzat's strength, raw power, raw horsepower. You know, you talk about RPMs in a car. Man, he goes high RPMs as soon as the fight starts. Hamzat, no feel-out process. Remember Anderson Silva would go out there, he'd feel guys out a little bit, he wouldn't really throw anything. Hamzat is the exact opposite. He comes out there like he was shot out of a fucking cannon. And I think it'd be a problem for Usman. I think Usman starts to fade the more Hamzat shoots. If he fails one, he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. And there's no threat of the jujitsu like there was against um, against Gilbert Burns, you know, I've heard uh, a rumor or two about Hamzat training at the UFC Performance Institute with a fighter or two I know and getting submitted. But these are like world class black belts he's rolling with. I'm not concerned about Kamaru Usman's jujitsu. And so, yes, Johnny, I think wrestling wise, Hamzat's going to overwhelm Kamaru. Kamaru on 10 days notice with jet lag, brother. 
I can't, I can't pick that. I, I'm on Team Hamzat all day on this one. And on the feet, it's probably close. But round two and round three, Hamzat, you know, the number one thing you can knock against him is, I don't know if he's a five-round fighter. Luckily, it's a three-round fight. Hamzat all day. So we brought up BKFC before. Let's circle back to that. Do you think that as a promotion, it will grow to be like I would say, let's say the dark horse of the promotion division. Do you think that the BKFC will get massive and uh, outrank, out uh, number every single uh, MMA organization that's under the UFC? God, I think I think they could coexist together. I think it's like MMA is just it's it, it's different from bare knuckle. Bare knuckle is a much more I like this word for it. Raw, right? No gloves. Raw. It's a very. Have you ever seen one live, Johnny? It, it when you hear those heavyweight knuckles slam into somebody's face, it is the craziest live sporting event I have ever seen. So a little bit apples and oranges in that sense. I think they both live on to do well. I think this is like the infancy for bare knuckle fighting championships, and look how much talent they've they've accumulated. You know, you see up and down the cards very talented MMA fighters. I think it's time for more high-level pro boxers to come in. They do get pro boxers, but yeah, more money goes into bare knuckle fighting championships. I agree with you. The sky's the limit, and it could definitely be a big player. One of the issues they have is legal issues, so being legal in all the states. They're not legal in most states. Uh, Texas just allowed them to come through, so they're trying to figure out an event there. They're going to Salt Lake City, Utah. Now it's legal there, so they're slowly working on it. The UFC doesn't have those problems, so we might be talking about more of a 10-year trajectory to get to a high level like that, but yeah, it's possible. It's a little easier to digest the UFC for like an ESPN audience because there's not as much. It, bare knuckle is some exciting, chaotic shit. And so you got to be ready to get down and dirty with some bare knuckle fighting. I really hope it gets to the highest levels because I love watching it. But I can see why it'll take a little bit of time. They got to get legal in all 50 states. They got to get more international. Right now, they're in Europe and the United States. And um, it's its infancy, though. You know, the UFC, back when I was wearing the Ultimate Fighter Season 1 t-shirt in, in my seventh grade class, my teacher would say, what is that, professional wrestling, like WWF, WWE now? And I'd say, no, it's real. And she would say, how do you know it's real? So I think bare knuckles sort of to that right now where we're just getting started <laughs> two fighters that i actually really want to see in the bare knuckle that i think they're in losing streaks right now in the ufc but i think if they went to bare knuckle bro these guys would be undefeated champions like i'm talking six and zero records for both of them i'm talking about michael johnson and cody garbrandt get them in the bkfc they are the fastest punchers out of every single person in their divisions, I think they would absolutely murk every single person in the BKFC in that in their division. But I do think Luis Palomino might have a couple words for you after saying that. Look, they're great, man. I just got to see Cody Garbrandt last week. He was at the UFC Performance Institute, and Cody Garbrandt is a big problem. The problem with him is, you know, he's been dropped a little bit, and, and you take a hard shot bare knuckle, man it's the toughest thing so i don't know i like michael johnson in it too though those are two good additions brother let let be let let dave feldman know man i want to see them sign too tell me about your position at ufc uh, sorry bellator 300 tell me about uh, the story behind that you seemed like you had a lot of fun there yeah, I did, man. I got to do backstage interviews for my show. A lot of them are still coming out. I got my guy Cam editing them. He's been traveling a little bit. So I went there and I talked to Chris Cyborg and I talked to Kane Velazquez was there, which was awesome interview to talk to Kane. Gave him a lot of love and respect. Um, obviously, I talked to, you know, Liz Carmouche, all the winners. And um, man, I had a lot of fun. That was really, really cool. You know, I'm rooting for Bellator. And then Johnny, the next day, I hopped in my car and I drove to Las Vegas and I got to sit down with Tatiana Suarez and Patchy Mix. And I got long form interviews with them. I filmed them training. I got to actually get on the mat and watch them grapple. It was Tatiana Suarez grappling Jessica Andrade and um, Jocelyn Edwards. I got to grapple Jocelyn Edwards. I got to grapple uh, Jeremy Kennedy, Bellator fighter. Uh, you know, I got to get on the mat and train with all these guys. Calvin Cater was in the room. Uh, Ali Abdelaziz ran practice, actually. Uh, Patchy Mix and Tatiana, of course, were getting work. So, yeah, it was a great, great weekend, man. I got to hang out with the Bellator and UFC fighters. 
talk about the grappling exchanges with them. Let's talk about your grappling exchanges with Eddie Bravo. When did you meet this guy? We do our research. <laughs> you do research, man. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I got to meet Eddie Bravo a long time ago, man. When was the first time I met him? I think in Chicago. I used to be a member on 10thplanetjj.com, so I love the rubber guard shit. I was all about it, man. I'm a big fan of uh, Joe Rogan Experience. Eddie used to come on the podcast. I was the original Joe Rogan Experience fan. I mean, I was watching when Joe Rogan was on a laptop in his basement with Joe Joey Coco Diaz, cocksuckers, you know, they would be over there talking and hanging out, smoking pot. And uh, I was watching, I knew JRE before it was a video. He used to just type it. You know, Joe Rogan used to type it on, usually on the plane. He'd be like, I ate a pot cookie today, blah, blah. It was JoeRogan.net. And he would write out what was going on. Then he started doing it in video. Then he started having guests. This is how Joe Rogan experience started. So I knew Eddie Bravo from back then. I was like a freshman in high school, you know? So yeah, I got to meet him in Chicago. Next time he came to Chicago, I made sure to come and interview him. I went to 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu to Chicago run by Josh Prasini. Shout out to them. And I got to sit down with him for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. It was awesome. We talked about Bigfoot, Tower 7, all types of shit. Uh, Conor McGregor. We talked about the sun. That, that interview is still on YouTube. I'm sure you found it. And um yeah, Eddie's the man, and I definitely am a big fan of, uh, you know, what he's done. And um, that was sort of my beginning of really studying outside of my own jiu-jitsu school, like studying 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu back as a kid. So uh, Eddie Bravo has been, you know, an, an influence. I do think the earth is round. I mean, we don't agree on everything, but uh, Eddie, Eddie Bravo has definitely been a, a good guy to know. And uh, what a, you know, what an impact he's had on the jiu-jitsu community, on martial arts. And, uh, you know, he's a fun dude to listen to, regardless of his uh, beliefs are a little out there. I personally like the rubber guard. Every single jiu-jitsu guy that I've spoken to, I've asked them about it. Do they use it? Do they like it? And dude, the black belt, I kid you not, the black belt's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like teaching that. So why is there some sort of bias against the rubber guard? What did it do to the jiu-jitsu community? <laughs> the rubber guard is this interesting idea about posture control that Eddie Bravo has. Eddie Bravo is right in saying that in old pride fights, you watch like Noguera, he does like the double wrist control guard where Fedor Emelianenko could just posture up and just drop big bombs on top of you. And Eddie's idea is, hey, I noticed that guys want to clinch. Let's use our whole jujitsu game from clinches so that it works better in fighting. I think it's a great idea. I have literally used some of these concepts in my fights. Although I didn't throw up rubber guard, I used guard clinching. And the philosophy is directly from Eddie Bravo and Jean-Jacques Machado. So that's a great idea. The issue people have with the rubber guard is that in high-level professional jiu-jitsu, so again, not its initial, you know, not its initial idea. The initial idea of rubber guard is it's going to work in fighting. If you look at it at like 80 cc, it, it doesn't work. It almost doesn't work. You know, the highest level guys, you're not going to throw rubber guard up and submit uh, Craig Jones. It's just, it's, that's not happening, you know? So um, the best guys in the world can beat rubber guard in jujitsu. I think that's the beef that a lot of people have. And then there are just a lot of Brazilians who don't fucking like Eddie Bravo. He calls stuff crackhead control. They're like, dude, I teach children. You want me to tell them to throw up crackhead control? You know, they got beef with Eddie himself. I think the, the personality sometimes outweighs some of the good things uh, you know, we see that with a few characters. I'm a big Elon Musk fan. Some people fucking hate Elon Musk, you know? It's like sometimes the personality can outweigh the actual work they're doing. And I think Eddie Bravo is another case of that, unfortunately. Really hard question. Between the brothers Umar and Usman, who do you think has the better skills? One's at bantamweight, knocked out Rayoni Barcelos, who everyone dodged. And the other one is doing amazing things, beat my favorite fighter, Benson Henderson. So who do you think, when it comes to a purely skill level uh, position, who do you think's got the better skills? Usman Nurmagomedov. He's a, he's a better, well-rounded striker. I mean, you know, Umar can't kick like that. Umar doesn't have the physical advantages either. Um, you can see tape of Umar getting ragdolled in the gym by the other Dagestanis, especially Khabib. I mean, who doesn't get ragdolled by Khabib? But I think Usman has a little more potential because of his body type, because of his overall striking game he has so many more weapons so Usman Nurmagomedov in that one my friend 
I saw that you rolled with the Honourable BJ Penn. When did this happen and what did he teach you? <laughs> yeah, I got to roll a little gee with BJ Penn. Not much, man. We weren't going hard. He was just showing me a couple things, a couple positionals. And uh, he came by UFC Jim Huntington Beach. He taught a seminar and hung out with us and trained with us for a little bit. So nothing but respect for the legend. I, I got a little bit of an ego in, in no gee. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty good in no gee, brother. I've submitted some people you might know, but I definitely am a sitting duck in the gee, man. In the gee with that damn lapel on, I mean... With with the belt on, with the pants, BJ Penn's choking me for sure. I got nothing on the legend. Should Johnny Eblen come to the UFC? He's undefeated. I can't say anything bad about Bellator. They've paid me many thousands of dollars, so I'm not going to say that right now. But should something happen to Bellator where they're not around to provide championships for Johnny Eblen. Hell yeah, absolutely. My friends who bet on fights, again, bet big on Johnny Eblen before. When he was a two-to-one underdog to Gegard Mousasi, I thought that was madness. So I think that, you know, Johnny Eblen could be the best middleweight in the world. And I've said that, and I get, ha I get hate for that, Johnny. People don't like hearing that shit, but I think Johnny Eblen would absolutely maul a... Sean Strickland, a, you know, Israel Adesanya, a Alex Pahea. I mean, he, he's much more well-rounded. He can box and he can wrestle. None of these guys could do both. And so uh, Johnny Eblen can take them down or he could stand and strike with them. And he's, his overall game is really good. I've heard a lot of, you know, I talked to King Mo Lawal about Johnny Eblen sparring some very famous fighters in the gym and messing them up. I won't be out here disrespecting people and dropping that information, but I definitely know Johnny Eblen is one of the best fighters in the world. Watch out for Diamond Hands. Why did uh, your friends and you bet on Johnny when he was an underdog? What information did you have? I, I didn't. I didn't. I shouldn't be betting. I work for Bellator. But my friends definitely saw the level of skill that he had. And if you just listen to Gegard Mousasi, Gegard Mousasi said during the Showtime interview that I was, I was talking to him, he told me, ah, I don't train as hard as I used to. Yeah, I got a couple of nagging injuries. That's not what I want to hear against Johnny Eblen, this the beast. And I think, you know, talk about underestimating an opponent. I really do think Gegard Mousasi uh, made a big mistake and underestimated him. So, yeah, two-to-one underdog and Johnny Eblen whooped his ass, you know. Uh, you know, all respect to the legend. But, man, Johnny Eblen dominated that fight, bell to buzzer outstruck him, took him down, mauled him on the ground. So you got to think that, uh, you know, you, get, you you had to think coming into that one, the odds makers had it wrong. I think that the perfect height for a middleweight fighter would be that 6'3 range. If you can wrestle at 6'3, I think you're just an absolute gun. That is what Johnny Evelyn actually is. And I was very impressed by the fact that you can measure skill levels and betting on particular skill levels. Like, for example, I would bet against Yuri Prakasha in half of his fights, right? But the only attribute that you can't bet for is somebody's willpower and heart and will to win. And that's what I saw with Eblen, that he was freaking out, overbeating Fabian, Fabian Edwards. That's the type of energy that I that I want to see in a champion. So I like his I like his whole game. I think that he's a really uh, underrated fighter, and people are just realizing now they're gonna they're gonna start respecting him more. Uh, one fighter that I would like to you know, uh, compare the two with would be another American wrestler, which would be Bo Nickel. Right. So they're both undefeated. Um, I would I would like to see this fight. But of course, you know, he's in Bellator. What do you think about Bo's uh, potential in the middleweight picture at the UFC? Do you think that he just submits these guys and just uh, destroys them? Or do you think he's overrated? Well, I don't know if you know, Johnny, but Johnny Eblen trains with Bo Nichols. So Johnny Eblen gave me the Bo Nichols scoop early on. He was training with him. And uh, so I, you know, I picked his brain. Okay, how good is Bo Nickel? What is he doing sparring rounds? You know, I try to, I try to draw a little bit out of these guys to, to get to know, uh, you know, the landscape a little bit more. So yeah, Bo Nickel's a beast, buddy. Bo Nickel is an incredible competitor. I think he challenges for the title for sure. Uh, whether or not he's the champion, 
champion? I don't know. I don't. I think maybe at this point people might be a little overhyping Bo Nickel. He looks really good against people who aren't A level. We have not seen him against that A level. You know, the idea that he's going to like take down Hamzat Shemaev and beat him up. We'll see. You know, we'll see. It, it, it's an MMA fight. It's not a wrestling match, just like Hamzat says. And I'm not convinced that Bo Nickel's about to take over the sport. But many of you guys are. And he's definitely a very exciting prospect. And he's training with one of the best teams in the world. So, you know, I think Mike Brown could do a lot for him. I think Johnny Eblen can do a lot for him. I think his sparring partners and coaches can bring him up to a very high level. I guarantee you he's going to challenge for the title. And the sky's the limit for him. It's just a matter of... Uh, who is he fighting, and how good is he at that point? Bo Nickel has not been training MMA his whole life. This is a hard game just to pick up. You know, I've been training for 21 years now in mixed martial arts, and there's a lot I have to learn. So for Bo Nickel, you know, the learning curve is there. And I like that he got a knockout in his last fight, though, Johnny. I think that's really important. All, although it was over a guy who is not in a, you know, an elite-level fighter, him getting confidence in his hands is important. So far, so good for Bo Nickel. And, yeah, I'm impressed, brother. I am. I, I do think that uh, in this fantasy matchup, though, I'm going Johnny Eblen over Bo Nickel. I didn't know that they trained together. What gym is that? American Top Team, brother. Coconut Creek, Florida, with Mike Brown as the head coach. Those boys are scrapping all the time. Is that the same team that Dustin's at? Yes, Dustin Poirier is, uh, he's cornered them, right? Dustin Poirier just cornered Johnny Eblen, and I forget Bo Nichols' corner. I, I assume Dustin came out for him too, but uh, yeah, they all train together. Yep. So let's talk about uh, his ascent into the midway rankings with Bo, right? So what do you think about him going up against people like Roman Kopilov and uh, Narsutin Ruziboyev, all of these guys that are really big strikers that we haven't seen really get tested in uh, big grappling exchanges, these guys are said to go on to be ranked, to be the next big thing. And I personally think that Bo would run through these guys, right? So if I think that now Sutton's good and he's the up and comer that everyone's talking about, and Kopilov is an insane striker that could stand with anyone in that division, and I think Bo can make easy work of them inside one round, both of them, uh, what does that say about Bo's skill level? I think Kopilov is not a first-round finish, brother. I think Roman Kopilov's striking is a problem, man. I think Roman Kopilov is underrated, brother. Now, whether or not he could take them down easy, that would make a big difference. I mean, Roman Kopilov is a young guy. I don't know how experienced he'd be going through hell on his back, but... Um, as far as the striking goes, like straight kickboxing, Kopilov knocks his ass out. Like a straight glory kickboxing fight, Kopilov is way better at kickboxing than I think Bo Nickel is. So, again, you guys are hyping this dude a lot. This dude's been kickboxing for like three years. He's going to get in there with some of these strikers, and he's going to get kicked in the face. Now... Uh, if he brings a, a high pace and gets a takedown, that's different. You know, I like Chael Sonnen used that, right? He'd go against Brian Stan and people he couldn't strike with, and he'd just bulldoze for the takedown. If you start bringing it into your area, then strategically that makes sense. But it looks like Bo Nickel likes to strike a little bit. Be careful with Kopilov, man. He's got a nice jab, Johnny. I don't know about that pick, Johnny. I think I got a little more faith in Roman Kopilov. But um, with that being said, yes, I, I think Bo Nickel would be the favorite in those fights, of course. The only reason that I bring that up is because after re-watching Roman's fight, I saw people like Ribeiro get into that clinch exchange yep. up against the fence. And yep. I just feel like someone like a bow would absolutely thrive in positions like that. And as you said about Chael, when you're constantly spamming takedowns like it's a video game, I think that at one point, if you throw eight or nine out there, one's going to land and then you basically won the whole round. So that's, that's where my methodology and my, my thinking comes from. Got you. Is Bo Nickel the champ in 2024, Johnny? Tell the people. I think Chemaev is the middleweight champion. And I think to beat, to beat, to beat Chemaev is going to take somebody with a hunger and a willpower that comes from something really, really special. So to be honest, I'm going to say no, because, um, even though I like them so much, there are still people that are sleepers in that division that you, that you are going to see that are going to pop off soon. Like, for example, Brendan Allen. He can strike. He's got an insane submission game. He's leveling up his wrestling. Dude, 
already he's only he's got the highest win percentage in the middleweight division right now, Brendan Allen. And also his only losses were both two short notices and one was against Sean Strickland, right? So when you're talking about who he's losing to, he's not really losing against that many um high quality opponents. So I see Brendan going on a streak as well. I see Adesanya falling off badly. I see a lot of things in that division occurring. And I don't think I don't think that the striking dominant um, division that it currently looks like right now will be the same landscape that it is in 2024. So to answer your question as um, concisely as I can, Bo Nickel will not be uh, the champion in 2024. Is he undefeated still? Maybe because he hasn't fought for a belt at that time. But if he does fight for that belt and whoever's there, uh, I'm going to say that he loses that championship fight. How do you feel about that? I think you're right. I think I'd pick Hamzat too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I could tell there are so many people who are hyped up on this prospect. And um, you, 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 could, you could paint me a skeptic, all right? I'm skeptical. Um, we'll see. I'm rooting for Bo too, though. I mean, good dude. And, and uh, you know, he takes big challenges. He grappled uh, Gordon Ryan. He wants to be the UFC champion. Like, you got to respect that dude. So, yeah, sky's the limit for him. I, I, he's young too, you know. Like maybe may, maybe it's four years from now that he's at his best. Looked at the MVP move, right? And that was massive news. It's kind of died down now, but I do have to say that if MVP comes to welterweight in the UFC, I think that he does extremely well. There are fun matchups for him. As I said, I know we brought him up, but I would say that the fights you have to make. Michelle Pereira was still in welterweight. You make that fight easily, but he's not. You make the Wonder Boy fight definitely. You make um, someone like even someone like a um, I forgot I forgot his name, but he went on a will. I forgot his name, but he went on a win streak. Shavkat Rachmanov and Leon Edwards. Those three fights: Wonder Boy, Shavkat, and Leon. They're the three fights that you have to make with. Um, MVP, chuck them in there up against the craziest strikers, have really, really fun fights going on. And then if he loses, so be it, but at least chuck them up against the, the give them the path to have exciting fights. I think if you chuck Leon and MVP in a UK arena, the biggest, like O2 or Wembley, whatever you have there, you chuck it in in a massive British headliner, I think that is that sells itself. Everyone would buy that. Yeah, I mean, how do you not love watching Michael Venom Page fight? It's an incredible style. I saw that KSI was like a mirror image of him against Logan Paul. He was really like mimicking Michael Venom Page. I know they trained together, but holy shit, that was like mini-me. That was crazy. He was really doing the same bounce in and out, hands down, one-twos when on the bounce coming in. So, yeah, it's definitely a cool karate blitz that MVP employs. And, of course, you got to do MVP versus Wonder boy that's the fight that's the fight we got to see man leave michelle pahea up there at 185 brother i saw michelle pahea last week at the ufc performance institute that guy's a light heavyweight how the hell did he make welterweight leave him up there at middleweight he looks great i do think at welterweight you start ufc debut michael venom page versus wonder boy take my money just a final question because i like the fact that you brought up that michelle was so large do you think do you think that welterweights that go up to mil, middleweight, in my opinion, middleweight being the inferior division, sorry, right? If welterweights go up to middleweight, do you think that they find more success? The conventional wisdom is that you want to be bigger than your opponent. So by going down in weight, you'll do better. But if you look throughout MMA history, it constantly is the case that when you go down in weight, you're not as fast as the opponents, and there are all types of issues. You're hard-cutting weight, and so you're not recovering 100%, and guys have a lot of trouble moving down. As to where moving up, we've seen a lot more success stories, you know? So, um, yes, I do think that some of these big welterweights can definitely move up. And then I think the, the, the other is true, too. I think moving up from middleweight to light heavyweight is even better like Marvin Vittori or you know Paulo Costa some of these 185ers are huge brother I met Paulo Costa last year at Bellator in San um uh it's next to San Francisco San Jose I met him in San Jose brother 
Paulo Costa is a heavyweight. How the hell were they doing him versus Hamzat Shemaev? Hamzat Shemaev is a 170-pounder who, yes, is huge and can make 185 and will do fine at middleweight. But Paulo Costa, he looks like a, a Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilder. He is enormous. I just talked to Cain Velasquez. They're the same size. Paulo Costa is a monster. So some of these middleweights can definitely move up. I think welterweight to middleweight, um, almost as good. Yeah, it, it's it's a big jump, though, Johnny. The problem is it's not 10 pounds. You know, you're, you're, you're going from, from 70 to 85, so, so 15. And then uh, 85 to 205, 20 pounds. So these are big jumps. That's the only kind of drawback is just that they're a larger jump. If these were 10-pound jumps, guys would continually win weight classes up. I mean, you know, it's a um, it, it's definitely the case that a lot of these welterweights and, and, and a lot of these middleweights are massive, and they'll do great moving up. And then, um, you know, one more thing to touch on here, Johnny. If you're the state wrestling champion of Rhode Island, that's the smallest state in the U.S. I don't know if you folks down under are familiar. The wrestling champion of Rhode Island, okay? And you're going to wrestle the wrestling champion of California. Who's going to win? It's always going to be the wrestling champion of California because the wrestling champion of California is the best of millions of people. The wrestling champion of Rhode Island is, you know, one-tenth the population. So when you have... 100,000 active professional lightweights. The guy at the top of that mountain, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Islam Makachev, is pretty damn good. When you look up to heavyweight, let's say, there's maybe, what, 2,000 active heavyweights? The guy at the top is never as good, right? So look at the, the, the pools of competition. It thins out the further you go up from lightweight. So, yes, I do think that welterweights are better than middleweights. I think middleweights are better than light heavyweights. And I think light heavyweights are better than heavyweights for that reason. That's why moving up is fruitful. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to say to the fans at home as we wrap up the podcast? Go to Mike Finch YouTube channel. It's slash Mike Finch. You guys can follow me at Mike Finch MMA everywhere else. I'm working for bare knuckle fighting championships though. So I might have to change it. They're like, dude, we got to put your MMA thing up. Like this is an MMA. So I don't know. I might have to change it, but I do appreciate the time. You guys can find me across social media. I'll keep putting out content for you guys. You know, we interviewed Tatiana Suarez and Patchy Mix. That'll probably be dropping around the same time as this because we got some edits to do too, Johnny. And we're working with a small team like you. So I want to definitely thank you before I leave, Johnny. I appreciate you having me on. Off air we talked, and it looks like maybe I'll be back in the future. So appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. I see your content. See, you told me you interviewed Howard Davis. I knew that too, brother. I watched the interview. So you're out here hustling. So uh, props to you and just uh, appreciate spending some time with you, my friend. Thank you. Follow Mike on Instagram, link in the description, and follow and give a five-star rating to anything combat on Spotify. See you guys next time.